This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. I do think there probably were some challenges I had in grad school that could have been solved by just having a snack. There was a hill that I would die on as far as graduate school advice is concerned. It is absolutely this. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we share 10 tips for getting off to a strong start in your first year of grad school. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 119. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Happy birthday, Daniel. Happy birthdays, Josh. That's true. Mine's coming up on Saturday. And mine just got done. And we had uh, quite a bit of fun, as you'll recall, hopefully. Uh, we got out on the town. I do recall. Went to do things that I had never done. But I like to do new things for my birthday. So I went to, um, we did some axe throwing, which is a thing that people do now for some reason. Yeah, you drink beer and throw axes. What did you think? Uh, I had fun. It was a I, good time. Yeah, I thought it was novel. I'm not sure I need to do it a lot. It made me vaguely nervous to have axes flying around behind me. It is strangely satisfying, though, to throw an axe at wood and have it stick. When you land it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Uh, when it bounces off, it's a little nerve-wracking. Yes, which if you've seen the YouTube video of axes bouncing over people's head, it makes you more nervous. But um, we then moved on to something relevant. The reason we're talking about this, we toured the Durham Distillery. And that is what we're sampling today is one of their wares. That's right, Dan. So we picked up one of their canned cocktails. And this is one of them. This is the Conniption Rosé Spritz. Pink can. Pink can. This is probably our first rosé and our first spritz on the show. Not our first rosé, I don't think. No, we had a rosé? I think we did. Yeah, I we put it have. on the map at some point. Yeah, it was a um, really gross one, if I recall correctly. That, that is a good reminder, Dan, to plug... On our website, we have our ethanol map. I, I wanted to call it our beer map. It's mostly beer. Mostly beer, but still growing, still adding things to it. I'm probably halfway through. But there's a new uh, tab on the Hello PhD website, hellophd.com. It is entitled Ethanol, and you click on that. And Dan, you put together this really cool interactive map of every beer and ethanol we've had on the show in 119 episodes trying to color code you'll see a lot of light kind of limeish green those are ipas and it's worldwide it is yeah we've got stuff over in europe puerto rico i think we're we're gathering some more so if you have international beers to send us please let us know yeah definitely no canadian drinks yet they're just not on the map I'm working on it, Josh. We, I don't think we had any Canadian drinks. Well, we? we'll find out when I finish the map. <laughs> we don't know until we know. Okay, back to the, to the topic at hand. This is a cocktail in a can. All the things mixed together already, pre-carbonated. Tell us what's in it. Yeah, so let me tell you. So this is based off of the cocktail uh, French 75. Have you heard of that, Dan? I looked it up. I had not heard of it before today. Yeah, so that is a, a champagne-based cocktail. Yeah, the way it's described is like a Tom Collins, which is gin, lemon juice, sugar, and club soda. But you, a French 75, you replace the club soda with champagne. I'm with you. So, so what's in this can is all-natural strawberry and lemon flavors, and then there's a blend of rosé and petite Syrah wine, conniption American dry gin, which is the flagship gin of Durham Distillery that I think is quite tasty. 
and finished with a touch of simple syrup for a hint of sweetness and some club soda. That gives it the... We, we should probably speak to the, the scientific spritz. cred of the Durham Distillery because... It was founded by a husband and wife team. The husband worked in pharma for apparently a long time. He was a chemist. Chemist. Yeah. And you walk in the door and there's a rotavap filled with alcohol and cucumbers. And it's extracting the cucumber flavor at low temperatures to be able to add to the gin without destroying those compounds. So these are people that really care about the chemistry of what they're making. So we had a very nerdy time on the tour. Yeah, I do love walking in there and you see the very obvious uh, and striking copper still that actually there was a photo on twitter i think i posted of you standing in front of the, the gertrude still. gertrude uh, and then you see the unmistakable beige tan lab equipment Gib- <laughs> sitting next bottles to everywhere <laughs> yeah but i had a great time dan that was uh really fun to see scientists leaving the bench to start a distillery and put their skills to use in other ways more should do it yeah so this is located in durham but they distribute through georgia michigan pennsylvania new jersey delaware south carolina tennessee illinois and i think they're opening up some other places so if you find it durham distillery check it out what do you think of this rose spritz i think it is a very strawberry forward that's what i would say about it you're getting the strawberries yeah i think it's it's definitely got some sweetness but i don't think it's overly sweet i don't think it's sweet it's just a a strong strawberry flavor that's what hits me first and then a little bit of the, the bite from the gin on the back. Yeah, you can definitely, uh, definitely taste the gin. Dan, in this can, this is two cocktails in this can. So Why we're sharing it. it so. We got a lot to cover, Josh. Let's get moving. All right, let's move right on. Dan, I wanted to share, probably for your birthday, but we have a new Patreon patron. Excellent. Wanted to give a special thanks to Celine, who is now a supporter of the show on Patreon. Thanks so much, Celine. And also, Josh, don't forget that our friends at Promega collected all the resources uh, that they have to share for graduate students and researchers, and they put them on a very convenient link at promega.com slash hellophd. You can go there to find resources on how to do cell culture, bio, any kind of biology technique, reporter assays, all types of PCR, and basically it's a one-stop shop for you to learn about the techniques you're using in lab or to maybe help those new students that are coming into your lab this semester that need a hand. That's Promega.com slash HelloPhD. And Dan, that's a good reminder that we are going to be out in Madison, Wisconsin in just a few weeks visiting our friends at Promega. So if any of our listeners happen to be in the Madison area, we will be in town on September the 8th through the 10th. We'll be recording a a webinar and a, a live episode there, but we should have some time to be out on the town. So if any listeners want to uh, get together or say hello, let us know. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com or find us on Twitter at hellophd. Looking forward to that. Have you been to Wisconsin? I have. I've been to Madison, in fact. Have you? I've never been. It's beautiful. It's going to be a great time of year to be there. All right, Dan. Well, let's move on with our main topic of the week. Josh, it is that time of year for those of us with kids. We think about back to school. Are your kids in school yet? They started on Monday. Yeah. Mine started Wednesday, and it's fantastic. It's not a thing that very many graduate students think about because you're always you're always working, right? You're working over the summer. You're working through the year. So back to school isn't a real event, except usually campuses get more insane with traffic and too many people. I went to the coffee shop on campus, as I do every afternoon, and super long line because undergrads started back on Tuesday. It happens. 
But I will say, Dan, all of our new grad students um, on our campus started back last Monday, and it definitely had that first day of school feel. We had 95 new grad students, and there was that sort of buzz of excitement and anticipation and anxiety that they had. Well, and that's what we want to talk about this week. We got an email from Gary who writes, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I will be starting grad school in the fall studying geology. Do you have any advice for a person starting grad school and to make the first semester a good one? Thank you. Josh, we have so much advice. You ready? This is going to be an advice-filled ship. Spectacular. I said 10 tips. I think we may get over that. We'll see how we do. But, but it's, a, it's a real issue. You are going into this totally new world. It's not like undergrad, and it's not like high school, and it's not like anything you've done before. But you can either start off strong and, and hopefully build on that success, or you can kind of flounder and languish and maybe have a bad experience. And so what we want to do is figure out what can you do in those first few weeks and months that will help make sure that you are successful over the next few years. Yeah, so what we did was reached out to grad students on Twitter just to see what advice they had. And and so we got a lot of great tips and advice from current grad students, senior grad students, recently finished grad students, and some other folks. Dan, what do you, what do you remember about your first week? What were you thinking? What was going through your head when you started grad school? I mean, it was so, so different. The thing that, that strikes me about it is as you get into college, you are grouped together with people who, you know, were successful in school. And so they went to college. When you get to grad school, it's like multiplied by a thousand. You are with some of the smartest people you will ever meet. They all are intimidatingly intelligent. They all seem to know more than you do. And that was my impression. And that's around the time you met me. That's right. right. And then I thought, oh, no, no, this is fine. (laughs) Oh, this is actually okay. (laughs) If he's doing it, (laughs) anybody can do it. I got a bag of sand over here, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing I can remember was certainly everything that you mentioned. I remember feeling that way. But I remember for me, and I came straight out of undergrad, Dan, and I know you did too, and, and a lot of people do. For me, I think I was just as anxious and excited about moving to a new place and living on my own for the first time in a different way than being in college. And I think like that was a big life change for me beyond just the program and the research and the rotations, but just trying to acclimate to having my own apartment and paying bills and having a paycheck and managing my finances and just being in a brand new place on my own. That was a big deal. Yeah. For those people that maybe took a little time off to go study and, and work, they may have had the experience of having a paycheck that they had to figure out how to make ends meet. But for the people coming right out of undergrad, straight into graduate school, this is the first time you get to be an adult where you're not going to necessarily have the safety blanket of your parents bailing you out. You're going to be, as you said, in a totally new place. So there's a lot to go with. There's the whole academic side where you've got to figure out your research. You've got to meet all these people. But then there's the human side, like you're talking about, which is how do I set up my next doctor's appointment? How do I get my car repaired? I'm in a new place. What are the restaurants I need to go to? How do I take care of my mental health? So I think that's what we're going to talk about is a little mix of academically, what do we need to do? And then personally, how can we make sure we take care of ourselves? Absolutely. So there was lots of advice. Um, and if you want to see all the advice, uh, you can go over to Twitter uh, in our Twitter feed and, and read all of it there. But what we try to do is distill this down into 10 main 
genres of advice. 10 to tips. 50 things, <laughs> roughly. Well, well, before we get started, here's one that I, fe- I thought was important but could not shoehorn it into its own topic. And uh, Sarah K. Wiley said, uh, gave lots of great advice but reminded us to store some emergency snacks in your desk. <laughs> Did you do that? I don't think my desk had drawers. That was the problem. Uh, I had, you know, I had a drawer, but I don't think I ever put anything in it. There was the same rusty pair of scissors and and old dried up pens that I think were in there the whole time, and a few paper clips. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd feel comfortable putting food <laughs> in any of the drawers I saw. But hopefully, at, at Sarah's university, they have clean drawers with good food storage places. I do think there probably were some challenges I had in grad school that could have been solved by just having a snack. Just throw it at the PI. I'm hangry. Somebody's yeah, hangry. It's the Snickers problem. That's right. Uh, all right, Dan. Well, let's jump right in. The first thing was try new things. So we mentioned you're in a new place, you're in a new program, you're with new people. Really embrace that. And so Kate Bradford said, if you rotate through labs the first year, don't be afraid to try out something totally different. Uh, she mentioned she was dead set on joining a mouse lab, but ended up loving her yeast rotation in PI so much she joined that lab. I definitely did that. Did you? I, I did some rotations in places that I hadn't had experience and wouldn't have occurred, you know, I, I did a bioinformatics rotation, and I think that is what got me interested eventually in code and programming. But it wasn't any part of my background. Certainly changed my experience, though. You know, I don't think I did a good enough job of this. I, I came in having only done human bacterial pathogen research, so my first rotation was in that. My second rotation, I branched out. I studied a pathogen that infects plants, and they went back to <laughs> human pathogens. Settled back in. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but I wish I would have explored more. Because really, I think if you're in a program that lets you do lab rotations, there's no other time in your professional career where you really have baked into the structure to just go try out new things, go test drive new types of research. Maybe you have always thought the brain is interesting, but you haven't had a chance to do neuroscience. Well, maybe you can. Or like you said, Dan, you wanted to get some bioinformatics skills or, or as Kate did, now let's see what these yeasts are all about. You never know what you might uncover just because you haven't had a chance to do it before. I think some of the most exciting science comes out of those either collaborations or those people that are multidisciplinary that maybe maybe you're working in your plant pathogen but you have enough experience with bioinformatics to, to know what questions to ask or to know who to go to. I got experience with mass spec in that rotation. I'd never done that before, but it occurred to me later I could use this in my research. So I think having that, that cross-pollination is really valuable. Absolutely. And, and Jessica Rabato mentioned uh, attend talks outside of your discipline, especially during your first year. So all those seminars going on all the time, you know, you're not only limited to the ones that your department sponsors or the people in your lab are going to. How do you find out about them? Uh, you know, most of them, there's email lists for all the departments. There's those flyers. People still post flyers around. Uh, the other benefit of doing this, Dan, most of these have free pizza or lunch or breakfast. So you could probably get most of your meals during free the Free pizza is lunch and breakfast. <laughs> We, you know, we have a, there's actually someone on our, on our campus that runs a Facebook page called Free Food. And they post all of the seminars and all of the events across campus that provide food. Every so week. even if it's moderately interesting, but you get free food, probably worth it. It's not a total loss. Yeah. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, from chaos and random sampling, item number two is get organized. I think this is an area where I have grown quite a bit um, from when I came into grad school. Unfortunately, I think most of the growth has has happened since I left grad school and got a real job. 
but there's something to be said for for being organized. And and Jennifer Polk wrote to us and said, schedule discrete tasks on your calendar, not just deadlines, and leave lots of blank space in there too. We saw a lot of feedback that said, get a calendar, write things on the calendar, check off things that you wanted to do, because at the end of the day, you're going to feel like, oh, I didn't get anything done. But having a record of it, seeing what you had accomplished, really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Dan, we reposted an episode from a while back, just a few uh, weeks ago on, on the Focus Funnel. Uh, but what Jennifer's saying really speaks to that. It can be tempting, and, and research is like this, research projects. You wouldn't want to put on your, uh, on your calendar, figure out if proteins A and B interact, right? Because that's a very complex project that is consisting of many, many smaller discrete tasks. And so when you're trying to plan your day or even your week, it's important that you actually write out those discrete tasks uh, that'll help you stay focused and plan your actual time from day to day. Yeah, lots of lots of things in there about making sure you take really good notes. Uh, you're going to believe that you'll remember this rotation for the rest of your life. You will not. So write on those samples, write down the notes. And then when you come back to this rotation lab, when you join the lab after you've done three or four more rotations, you haven't lost all that time and all that work. You'll have Excellent notes for keeping keeping up with it. This was one of my biggest flaws as a grad student. Mine too. Was I would constantly overestimate my ability to remember things over the weekend or a week later. Uh, so if I was doing an experiment on a Friday and I would label tubes, oh, I'll just label these A, B, C, D. I'll remember what that is on Monday. Guess how many times I would remember that? Never. Zero Never times. a single, not a single time. <laughs> Yeah, being organized, keeping good notes. All right, Dan, number three is kind of a practical one. It has to do with a core function of grad school, and that is reading. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised at this, but I liked it. It seems like good advice to me. So Bill Ricci says, read extensively about your project before you start working on it. You must know from deep within your heart why you want to work on it. And Rob said, read a lot, first in your discipline, then far from it. And I thought that was really good advice. So We talked in a previous episode about how when you had to write a grant application for your preliminary exam, you really learned the subject, you started to like that subject, and then you went back to your normal research that you hadn't read so deeply in. I think this is what they're saying. They're saying, really take the time to understand the depth and breadth of this field that you're entering into, and you don't have to feel bad about taking some time either out of lab or in the lab to do this. Yeah, Dan, I can remember being a postdoc and having conversations with two rotation students that were in our lab at the time. And it was coming toward, towards the end of their, their rotation, and, and we were actually their, their third and final rotation. And they were lamenting what a difficult choice it was going to be to choose what lab they were going to join and pick the thesis mentor, because they'd had good experiences in multiple labs. And I can remember asking them, well, you know, if you had to pick up a paper from our lab and the other lab you're considering which one would you be most excited to pick up first? And they both uh, joined the other lab. Oh, is that right? <laughs> they did. And my PI never let me talk to rotation students again. That's well, probably a good life lesson <laughs> for all of us. Uh, good thing you don't have a podcast now. I know, right? But the sentiment, I think, is, is important. You know, it's something, all things being equal, you're going to spend a lot of time learning and thinking and becoming an expert on a topic. So you should put the work in to make sure it's something you're actually interested in. Absolutely. And related to the reading, uh, a couple of people mentioned you, you need to learn how to read. So Karen Sutton said, learn how to efficiently read journal articles. Sometimes that means skimming. And Andrew Cook chimed in, 
I've consistently found students who read journal articles like books get stressed. So read the abstract. Is it relevant? If yes, skim the text to confirm it is. If yes, then read more carefully. Uh, there's a there really is a skill set that you develop to read a scientific paper. And I remember that was one of the big leaps from undergraduate to graduate school. Maybe I had a class in undergrad where we read a paper together as a group. But in graduate school, everything really hinges on your ability to read these papers clearly and cleanly and to, to integrate what you've read. So true. I mean, I, re- I remember doing this incorrectly when I first started. You know, you get Same. a paper and, I mean, how have you been trained to read? You start at the beginning. First sentence. And then you get <laughs> stuck on the third word because it's an acronym <laughs> or some term of art in the field that you have not yet studied. And then you just go crack open a beer and call it a day. The art of skim. It's a real thing. Number four, we're really related to this because as you're reading, you're going to be in this new world. You're going to get confused. And piece of advice number four is don't be afraid to ask for help. This is so huge. Um, Stephanie Castillo said, when you feel lost and without guidance, it's because you were lost and the direction given wasn't clear. Don't wait until it's too late to ask for help and clarity. By the way, your lack of understanding is not because you aren't smart enough or don't belong. And then Amanda Coletti chimed in and said, I agree. I'd also add, if you do ask for help and get snide comments, recognize that that is a warning sign. Yeah, that is red alert flags going up. Uh, If you ask for help and you get ridiculed, be glad you're on a rotation and you haven't joined that lab. Yeah, that's not the right environment for anyone Anyone. to learn. Yeah. You know, I think we can be afraid to ask for help or to speak up and say we don't understand, especially as a new student in an environment, because I think there's this natural tendency to want to give the impression that I've got this, I know it all, or I can figure it all out on my own. And that this feeling that asking for help is a sign of weakness, but but that's not true at all. I think the sensation is that you feel your schooling has not prepared you well enough for this, that everybody else has had a class on whatever the subject is, and you're the only one in the room who didn't get it. And, and it's very isolating, and it makes you not want to raise your hand. It makes you want to wait and maybe go look it up later on your own. And, and so it might be fine to go to wait till after the lab meeting or to wait until after the class to go ask for help, but make sure you do go get the help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's important for, for students to realize, especially when they're starting out that failure to ask questions maybe doesn't give the impression you think it does. I think there's this thought that, well, if I don't ask questions, that's going to give this impression that I know stuff. But in reality, what, the impression it gives when you don't ask questions is that you're not interested, that you're not engaged. I actually was speaking to a, a faculty a while back who said they had a rotation student who, very quiet, didn't ask questions, didn't really um, engage with, with other people too much. And they had all come to the conclusion that the student wasn't at all interested in the work they were doing, which is fine. Then the student gave their end of rotation presentation during lab meeting and did an amazing job and said, how interested and excited they were in the research. And they were blown away because they had no idea uh, because the the student had really uh, kept to themselves and not asked a lot of questions along the way. Stone-faced glare was not conveying (laughs) the excitement that they thought it was? No, no, not at all. So ask questions, uh, be involved. Well, and the cause of not wanting to ask questions leads us to number five. Uh, Remember that you belong in combat imposter phenomenon head on. Yeah, and Dan, we had a couple episodes devoted to this topic. 
episodes 70 and 71 for those of you at home. So I think this is so important, Dan, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So imposter phenomenon is where you have this feeling that everyone else around you is smarter than you and they got to where they are based on their merit. And somehow you snuck in, you pulled the wool over people's eyes and uh, you're going to be exposed at any moment for the fraud that you are. Yeah, if you never experienced that sensation that Josh just described as an undergrad, you will feel it in graduate school. I, I can almost guarantee it. And to go into graduate school this fall and not know that's coming is, I think, a little bit dangerous because everybody's going to go through it. You just need to recognize it when it happens and know that everybody feels that way and that there are ways you can address it. Yeah, and we heard from uh, Morali who said, don't be intimidated by your cohort. You got into the same program as the smartest person in the room. Everyone is coming in with unique areas of expertise and knowledge gaps. You're there because you have something unique to offer. And I can say this is absolutely true, Dan, as someone who... You recruit. You, you is in charge. Yeah, in charge of admissions. If you got into your grad program and you're there, grad programs and admissions committees, they don't necessarily take chances on people. You know, the reason you're there is because you have a track record of success. You have a track record of doing a great job in academic settings. You were probably a good high school student, which led you to get into undergrad. You most likely showed interest and did research in certain areas that are relevant to your grad program. And not only that, but you worked with some faculty or other people who have personally witnessed your work and vouched that you really are great and have a lot of potential. So the reason you're there is because not because we have some crystal ball saying or some hope and prayer that you're going to succeed, but you have a track record of succeeding and there's no reason to think you won't continue to do so. Absolutely. And and very specifically, uh, Shoba points out another even more complex subject here, which is for PhD students of color, because most faculty don't look or talk like you, it does not mean you can't own your space and time and rock it. Remember that you very much belong here. Actively identify mentors, sponsors, and role models of all units and departments on campus. And I think it's, it's going to be really important for students of color, maybe from underrepresented groups, that can't look around and say, oh, there are 50 people just like me here. Um, you're going to have to work even harder to overcome that that imposter feeling. And a big part of that, I think, is is being creative and looking beyond the obvious suspects for your mentor, who can be your mentor. And I think we'll probably talk a little more about that in a minute, but for, for everyone, it's important that your PI is not your only mentor. The people in your lab are not your only community, but really identifying the people that are going to support you and are going to have your back and really invest in your success. Identifying those people early is, is really beneficial. Speaking of that, the next piece of advice is make friends inside your program. And put yourself out there. It's your program and your institution. Yeah, this, this one's really maybe not obvious because you get to a new place, you've got a lot going on. You may think, I just need a little break at the end of the day or at the end of the week. I'm going to go sit by myself. But because everybody has moved from some other place, they're all forging new friendships, new communities, new groups. And that really does have a time aspect. So Josh and I met on recruiting weekend. And then we got together again when we both started school. And that friendship forged. And now 150 years later, <laughs> here we are, right? Drinking spritzes together. But, but there were people. So we came in under an umbrella program. I didn't meet the people in the department I joined, right? They had, they had all joined the department directly. I came in a year later. They were all much closer because they had gone through that first year together. And I never quite caught up to the, to the level of connection and friendship that they shared with each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, I had the exact same experience, Dan. And 
if I have a, I don't know, maybe a regret is, is too strong a word, but this is something that resonates with me as a piece of advice that I did not take very well. And, you know, when I came into grad school, um, as you know, Dan, I had a significant other uh, who came with me. And I think in some ways that put me at a little bit of a disadvantage because I used that a little bit as a crutch because I had this person at home that I knew that prevented me from putting myself out there as much when there were opportunities for socializing and getting to know people. And you got stuck with me. Sorry, Josh. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so the only Josh person that was you. You settled. <laughs> Fine. I might have met some really cool, smart people, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'll do this. Uh, but you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I know exactly what you're saying. Being married now, I am, I'm less interested in going out and meeting random new people, right? Because I, I have a connection that I, is satisfying and I don't need that. So I think you're going to have to go out of your way if you come with a partner or a friend uh, to to integrate and to interact with people in your program. Yeah, and it's worth saying... They will become your friends. They absolutely will because really the vast majority of you are in the same boat. You know, you're all new. And, and I want to say too, it's the easiest time to make friends and to get to know each other is at the beginning 100%. because no one knows anyone. Everybody's looking to establish those friendships and everybody is open to that at that time. I don't think I appreciated that as much that people would have been very willing to accept me into their group and become friends. And it becomes harder to do uh, later. And, and this is going to be easier for some people than others. You know, I've worked really hard to overcome my introvertedness <laughs> <laughs> and my self-consciousness, but but certainly give it, give it a try to put yourself out there. And, and Jackie Sparrow wrote in and said, uh, recently graduated, uh, but take advantage of your cohort and fellow students. In grad school, it's really easy to become isolated, and I wish I'd been friends with my fellow students sooner. Yeah, Madison Hansen adds, meet as many people as you possibly can. You can't do research alone. Your advisor and lab mates are only one resource. Don't stop there. Very, very true. Yeah, and, and those are the folks that when things inevitably get hard, they know what you're going through. You know, they can commiserate. And we had our quarter life crisis group, right? And that was largely All grad students, grad students who yep. knew the pain. Absolutely. Well, relatedly, number seven, make friends outside of your program and have hobbies that are not science related. This is uh, related to mental health, but also just expanding your horizon. Because I think one of the dangers of graduate school is that you get so laser focused on research and your project and you think the whole world is turning around this one experiment that you're doing and you need to step back and realize that the world is out there and it's all going to be okay. This thing I think is something that I did really well in graduate school. Ignored research? <laughs> uh, had a life outside of yeah, grad school and had friends absolutely. outside of academia. And it's grounding, isn't it? It really gives you a lot of perspective because I think one thing that, that can be important is realizing that your entire self-worth and the human experience revolves around a lot of things and is made up of a lot of things besides, you know, your ability to do Western blots or to write it's, papers. Yeah, it's nice to have that friend who doesn't care that your paper didn't make the cover of Cell or whatever the thing that you're upset about this week. They're going to see other things in you that aren't just your academic success. And I think it's nice to have those people to, to cheerlead you, to get you back in the ring, ready to go. Yeah, we got a few comments about this. So Ariana said, two things that kept me sane, friends that with the years became family and a project outside my lab, in my case, an outreach program in which things were going good and I got instant reward. Both helped me remember I was indeed not a total failure. 
Um, and Marcus said something that I thought was interesting and worth mentioning here. Uh, I assume he's talking about when he first started grad school. He said, I made a rule not to travel for a month to force myself to explore. Yeah, it's tempting to want to go back to your undergrad institution or to wherever you moved from pretty regularly. And you're going to want to see those people for sure. But what he's saying is make the commitment to be there in the new place and to to go through the growth process of learning about that new place. Yeah, and you know, almost mentally saying, this is my home. This is home and for the next f- five to ten years. <laughs> the next five years or so. Five to life, right? <laughs> yeah, and so I think think about things you enjoyed doing at the place you came from before you moved. You know, what type of activities did you like? Uh, yoga? Did you like knitting or was there a church that I, you I just like yoga and knitting. You just nailed it. <laughs> Find the local yoga knitting meetups. There you or, go. You know, whatever. You do uh, hot yoga and knit yourself a sweater. That sweater. sweater. That sounds gross. You can dab <laughs> the sweat off with the... It does. Then Rocco chimed in and said, find friends outside your grad program who you can complain to about people in your grad program. That way, less likely to blow back on you. <laughs> Not totally unlikely, but less likely. So full disclosure, Rocco was my sweet mate from college. Who's a lawyer? <laughs> so he's really just—he's just covering the contingencies. That's right. That's right. Uh, Rocco understands libel and slander laws, and he, has he, decided it's better to not tell the people that you're complaining about. That's right. Then Dan, number eight was a few people mentioned taking care of your finances. We alluded to this in the intro. It's a weird—it's a weird time. You're not making a lot of money, but you certainly have expenses. So how do you handle that? Yeah, and as we mentioned, it was true for me. And Dan, I know with our program, about half of the students do come in right out of undergrad. So for a lot of people, this really is the first time you've been on your own, the first time you're paying bills, you're managing a, maybe a monthly paycheck that's coming in, taxes, all these types of things. And that in itself is an adjustment, not to mention while you're trying to figure out labs and research advisors and read papers. You know, you're just trying how to to learn how to manage a life and manage finances. This was an area, Dan, I know I had to grow a whole lot while in grad school. And I didn't do it well at the beginning, but, you know, it's certainly something I had to read a lot about and talk to people about and, and, and really grow during the time I was a grad student. Yeah, it's something that we talk about on the show pretty regularly. So if you type finance into the search bar, you'll be able to find some of our interviews with our friend Emily Roberts, who focuses on this type of material it's really worth taking the time to understand what your finances look like because what you don't need is the additional stress of being short on cash all the time. Yeah. And Dan, I'm glad you mentioned Emily because this would be a great chance to, uh, to plug Emily's website and her podcast. Um, and that's all about this topic, personal finance for PhDs. And that's the name of her, her site. It's PF for PhDs.com. And you can learn a lot more about personal finance from the perspective of a grad student and give her podcast. We'll leave it to the pros. Uh, That's right. All right, Josh, number nine. And this, this thread is woven through all of these comments. Take care of your physical and mental health. Yeah. I think we've left the important ones for the end. Uh, They're all important. (laughs) Well, I think these are really important. It can be very tempting as you get busy thinking about all the work that you have to do, all the papers you have to read, all the experiments you have to run to let your physical health and your mental health be the first to go, the first to suffer. But, you know, it's this is probably a trite example, Dan, but it's just like riding on the airplane. What do they say? Uh, you got to put your oxygen mask on before you do anything else. Take care of yourself first. That's right. Because, you know, it can feel like 
well, I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to do yoga or I don't have time to hang out with these friends that make me feel good. Um, But you're going to be way more productive in the long run by finding that balance and by doing those things that you need to be a whole and a healthy human being. And I think they're they're really consistent advice. We'll read some of these things we got on Twitter in a second, but a really piece of consistent advice is people said, before you think you need it, take care of it and schedule it first. If you're going to make a schedule, schedule in breaks, schedule in ways to take care of your mental health. Because if you wait to try and fit it in at the end of the day or at the end of the week, it, it will never happen. You know, Dan, that was something that I've got. I feel like so many of these things I have really done a better job of in the last five to 10 years after I left graduate school, I would do so many things different. That's why I think it's so important you know, to give this advice now. But one of the things I've, I've done recently is, is going to the gym and getting exercise. I put it on my calendar as a, as an appointment, as it's a blocked meeting, out. it's blocked out and other people can actually see my calendar, but I actually protect it. You know, at the beginning, what I would do is say, okay, I'm going to try to go to the gym on Monday afternoon. But then if anyone suggested, well, why don't we meet Monday afternoon? I'd be like, oh, okay, it's just the gym. Um, that's not it. Because so, somehow I think what we're saying is this is less important. Mm-hmm. But what I started doing now is say, yeah, I can't do Monday afternoon. I'm busy. Does so, it say get super ripped at the gym so that everybody knows? <laughs> that's right. So You're just eating haagen in the corner? That's all I'm doing. Hiding in the bathroom. Hey, whatever you need to feel good about yourself. <laughs> well, Megan wrote and said, build small stress relief events into your day. Never skip them. It's exactly what you said, Josh. Even if you feel like you don't need them, the way you can remember to take them at times when you need them the most. For me, yoga was my vice and still is. I don't think yoga is a vice, but I get the point. Talking about exercise, and exercise is not the only one, but you know, I've often found it's the days that I really don't want to do it or really don't feel like I have the time that I feel the most relief and positive benefit from doing it. Um, and, and whether it's it's going to the gym or taking time to go get coffee or a beer with a friend or for me, play a board game. You know, those are the times you really need to probably push through hit pause and, and do those things. Yeah, it makes sense. Malika added, claim some personal time in your life right away. It's exactly what we, we said before. You got to do it. The first thing, um, get involved with a hobby, adopt a dog or establish some other personal time early on. It's harder to add that in later when you'll need it most and helps manage expectations about your work-life balance. That's what you said, Josh. Block it out on the calendar. Now nobody schedules anything on Monday afternoon because they know that time is for you. Yeah, and you know what? We, we've really directed... This advice is good for, for all grad students, but we've directed it specifically to students who are just starting out in their programs right now. But if you're in a position where you are a first year and you're doing these rotations and you haven't committed to a thesis lab yet... If there are certain things that are important to you for your well-being, your mental health, for your work-life balance, I mean, now is your time to see how being that whole person that you want to be actually fits in with the culture of that lab. Because isn't it much better to find out now if it's not acceptable to do the things you need to do to feel healthy in a lab, better to find that out before you join the lab. Yeah, you don't want to spend the next two or three years not being able to take care of yourself. So run. <laughs> and you know, Dan, I wanted to wrap this part up with what Anu said. And I think this is so, so important. So what she said was, don't make the degree your whole life. It's just one part of what makes up your life and your identity. And I think that's so true, Dan. It can be 
very easy as a grad student to just get completely wrapped up in your project and your thesis. And when things inevitably fail, to take that personally, that it's not just that the project failed, but somehow you are a failure. But we are really complex, multidimensional creatures. And this aspect of your life is only one small part. Absolutely. And and Anu finishes her, her statement, take advantage of your health insurance plan if you have one. So for those of you that may be getting health insurance <laughs> to the university, use it. You know, you should actually, when you're in a healthy place, check on what your health insurance coverage provides you for mental health coverage. I know when I was a Absolutely. grad student, that was the first time that I ever sought out uh, a counselor in the community. And I realized that my health insurance, um, you know, my copay was, was really affordable. So, so maybe check that out. You might be surprised. All right, Josh, number 10, um, this first year, this first semester, as you're doing rotations, there is one point of this, which is to find a lab to stay in to do your thesis work. But finding that lab, is, it's really critical that you're not just looking for, I like this research, find a great mentor. It is more important than finding a great project. That's what you're doing in this first year. So, so key. And, and Angela Fowler said, definitely focus on the mentor and the lab environment when choosing lab rotations. What research you do also matters, but your mentor and colleagues matter more. And Dan, I could not agree more. If there was a hill that I would die on as far as graduate school advice is concerned, it is absolutely this, that you should absolutely prioritize finding the mentorship that you need and the environment where you can be successful over the coolest science. Because, as we've said probably a dozen times on the show already, you will grow to hate any project and any science if you're in a situation where you have no mentorship or poor mentorship or in an environment that's just not a good fit for who you are. We talk about mentorship so much and it's because it's so important. Um, most of the time we're dealing with questions from people who got into a bad situation and they just need a little bit of advice on cleaning it up. This first year is your chance to avoid those accidents. And if you go to the hellophd.com website, there's a a list of topics on the side. You can click the mentorship button and see everything that we've said about it. I, I really encourage you in your first year, if you're going to focus on, on some of our advice at all over the last three or four years, focus on that because getting on the right track with the right mentor is going to make or break your scientific career in many cases. Yeah. And it's worth saying, Dan, we're not saying this just because this is some hypothetical that sounds really cool to say, but we're, we're saying this based on Lots and lots of experience of certainly people, our own experience, but people we've known who have gone through the process. Um, I can say, Dan, hundreds of grad students that I've talked to in my day job throughout the last 10 years, and then all the people we've talked to through this podcast, the people who send us emails and send us tweets, I would say a very high percentage of really bad issues that people end up facing have to do with being in situations with poor mentors or mentors that are a bad fit for them. Yeah, and, and many people flourish. We're not saying that it's not possible to just get lucky and, and to land that perfect person who is able to match their encouragement style with your needs. It happens. But better to go in with your eyes open and to understand what you're getting into. And that's what this whole first year is about. That's right, Dan. And so so these are, these are 10 things, but... One bonus thing is what happens if, you know what, 
maybe I'm not a first year. I'm a third year, and this advice sounds really great. But you know what? I'm in a lab that I don't feel like it's a good fit for me, or I have an advisor that I just don't think gives me the support that I need. What do I do? And that's the last thing that we heard about. And that is that sometimes making a change later is okay. So Julia said, sometimes it's not that the mountain is too steep. It's just the wrong mountain to climb. Persistence is important, but it's equally important to know when to move on from projects, experiments, habits, relationships, etc. that aren't helpful anymore. Yeah, there's a lot that can happen in your first year. And having a good group of friends and advisors and mentors around you, they're going to help you recognize when it's worth pushing forward on that experiment or project or relationship and when it's not. And I think what Julia is saying is that's okay too. I think academia is particularly bad at that. About changing? About making changes. You know, we talk to industry people and that, that seems my understanding of industry is if a project's not working or doesn't look like it's going anywhere, you move on. You try something new, right? Yeah, I think the fear is that it looks like it's going just a little bit bad and then they yank the rug out. Um, our experience from talking to people is not is not that extreme, but I think that's how academics maybe view industry. But certainly there is more of a a willingness to stop a project that isn't headed where they want it to head. So yeah, I guess to put a bow on it, life's short. And if something's not working for you, make a change. All right, Josh, that was 10 plus two or three, I think. <laughs> I don't remember how many we got up 10 to. 10-ish. Dan, I'm out of spritzer, so I think we probably should wrap this up. I think so, too. Um, best of luck to Gary and to all of our listeners who maybe have been listening for a little while and are just now starting your first year of graduate school. It's very, it's such an exciting time, such a memorable time. I have good memories of it. I hope you do, Josh. Great memories, Dan. All's well that ends well. That's right. So, so take it one day at a time. Keep listening, and you know where to find us. All right. Well, if you have a question or a topic idea, we'd love to hear it. You can email us, podcast at hellophd.com. Send us a tweet at hellophd, or you can leave us a message on our Facebook page. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love the feedback, and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd, and we'll send you an invite to our Slack channel just for our patrons. Not to mention, we'd appreciate the beer money, and thanks to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Or spritzer money. That's right. Dan, happy birthday. Thank you, you too. And we'll see you uh, in about a week where you'll be slightly older. One of us will be 40. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Good night, Dan. Good night. We'll see you later. Bye.